Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We've been very candid on our show about our mental health because it's important to break the stigma and get the help you need to not only achieve your goals, but to just be happy. Not everyone has time to drive to a therapist, which can be anxiety-inducing and a huge time suck. That's why we're partnering with BetterHelp to offer you a better, more cost-effective solution. If finances are a barrier to you getting the help you deserve, they even offer financial aid. BetterHelp is a safe, private online environment where you're paired with a professional, licensed therapist that specializes in areas of interest such as depression, anger, stress, anxiety, family conflicts, LGBT matters, relationships, grief, sleeping, trauma, and self-esteem. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's a professional counseling service that allows you to communicate in under 48 hours, whether that's through private messages, video, or phone sessions, and you can message your counselor anytime. Fun fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states, so you know that you'll be able to find the right counselor for your unique needs. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com listener. Join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash listener. We love you and hope you'll treat yourself to better mental health in 2022. Now on with the show. The Oracle Network. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hi. This week's guest episode comes from the Victimology Podcast. Maddie and I joined Melissa to talk about my favorite unsolved historic crime, the Hinter Kaifek murders. Mm-hmm. That was really fun. It was pretty great. So if you enjoy this episode, I encourage you to visit the link to Victimology in the show notes and mm-hmm. subscribe to hear more great content. Absolutely. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime. Enjoy the show. So on this week's episode, I am joined by Lindsay and Madison from the Ye Old Crime Podcast. Lindsay, Madison, thank you guys so much for joining me. Thanks so much for inviting us. Yeah, thank you very much. So we're going to be talking about a pretty interesting case today. Um, Do you guys want to kind of give a little synopsis of it? Sure. So this is one of my favorite unsolved cases from history. And I'm very excited to cover it today because we can't really cover it on our show just because our show, like, the parameters are they're all cases pre 1900 and this one just so happens to like be in 1922. So I'm very excited that I have the opportunity to talk about it now. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So how, how do you pronounce the actual name? Cause I've tried for probably a good 10 minutes now and I failed. I'm assuming miserably. How do you pronounce the name? Hinterkaifeck. Yep. Hinterkaifeck. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I was definitely off. 
<laughs> very off, very off. But that's okay. So um, do you want to kind of like dive into it? Let's let's get to talking some Hinterkaifeck murders. Sure. There. Um, so we kind of broke it up where I'm going to be covering like the gruesome beginning part of it. And Maddie's mm-hmm. going to go through all of the different like theories and suspects and stuff. Sounds good. Okay. So... Obviously, I love a good mystery, and no cold case has gripped my attention quite like the Hinterkaifeck murders. So, like I mentioned before, you know, we're traveling back in time to 1922 to a small Bavarian farm that's located near Grubern, um, or modern-day Weidhofen in Germany. Um, so, the nearest large city is Munich, which is about 43 miles or about 70 kilometers north of there. And the story centers around the Gruber family. And the Grubers lived on a a farm named Hinterkaifeck, which had originally been built in 1863. So this is like a super old creepy farm. (laughs) And like, like if you look at pictures of it, it looks like something out of your nightmares. Like you can totally see how someone could be murdered there. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm looking at the picture right now. It is very creepy looking. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll definitely include some pictures um, when this episode comes out too um, of the actual farm itself. Cause it it is kind of the thing of nightmares. I I agree. (laughs) It's very eerie. Um, So the name itself comes from the word hinter, which means behind in German and Kaifek, which is the name of the nearby Hamlet. And the family consisted of Andreas, who was 63, and his wife, Kazilia, who was 72, and then their widowed daughter, Victoria Gabriel, who was 35, and Victoria's children, um, her daughter, who was also named Kazilia, and she was seven, and Joseph, who was two. And the Grubers also had a maid that lived with them named Maria Baumgartner, who was 44. And... Contrary to what was the norm of the time, Victoria actually owned and operated the farm and her parents lived with her. So I'm not sure if that was something where she got it from her deceased husband, like she just kind of took over the farm or if she had purchased it. Like I couldn't find that information anywhere, but I just thought it was sense though. Yeah. in In any other case, her father would have been the owner. Yeah. So that I thought that was a very interesting detail that she actually owned the property and it wasn't her dad. So we're very progressive for the time, clearly. Yes. It's very that. progressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in town, her father, Andreas, was a pretty unpopular person, and many thought he was quarrelsome, ill-tempered, and just pretty much an asshole. So <laughs> people tended to try to like avoid him if possible. Um, And over time, rumors surrounding uh, the family started to get kind of bad. So the people of Kaifek started speculating about Andreas' relationship with his daughter, Victoria. And in 1915, Andreas was sentenced to a year in prison for committing incest. And Victoria's, yeah, Victoria served a month in prison for the same offense. And at this time, Andreas was 56 and Victoria was 28. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
it's one yeah, of those stories. It's, it's, one of, it's one of those layers that you're like, ew. <laughs> yeah. I, I take back what I said about being progressive for the time. Yeah, yeah so. right. <laughs> I, I, I almost, I wanted to say something, but I was like, I'm just going to let you. We're just going to let it unfold. <laughs> you'll, you'll get it in a second here about how unprogressive and kind of gross they are. Yeah. yeah uh, allegedly. Yeah, not a fan. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So claims were made that Andreas was in fact the father of his own grandson, Joseph. And even though a neighbor named Lorenz Schlittenbauer was listed as Joseph on Joseph's birth certificate as the father, the rumors surrounding Andreas and Victoria kind of refused to die down. And part of that was Lorenz's fault. Cause he would, claim to pretty much anybody who would listen in town that he wasn't Joseph's father and that he'd merely allowed Victoria to list him as the father due to the fact that they'd had a brief relationship at one time. Mm. And Andreas was so pissed about this gossip that he threatened to sue Lorenz, but that didn't stop him from reporting the continued incest to authorities So then Andreas and Victoria face charges of incest again in 1919, but were later acquitted in 1920. And in a bit of a strange twist, Lorenz recanted his story, claiming that he was, in, you know, the famous words of Maury, in fact, the father of Joseph. So, oh boy. Yeah. So there's like, Maury Povich. Yeah, so there's like all these weird twists and turns and layers to this story. And there were claims that Victoria offered to pay off Lorenz if he agreed to claim he was the father, while another claim circulated that she promised to marry him if he agreed to be the father. So I'm going to play devil's advocate for just one second before we get to the good part of the story. There is no way that Andreas fathered Joseph unless he did it after they were already acquitted. Cause Joseph was two at the time the murders took place. And if Andreas fathered anyone, my money would be on Kazelia, the seven year old. Um, just because as far as when she was born, it coincides more with when they were first charged with incest. Um, but you know, in in everything I read, they listed it more like he was the father of Joseph, but I tend to think it's the other way around, that he actually fathered the daughter. Yeah, that seems to kind of make more sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after the fun incest charges were dropped in 1920, uh, things seemed to quiet down a little bit on the farm, at least until about six months before the murders took place. So prior to Maria becoming the Gruber's family maid, there was another maid that had been living with the family. And she quit around October of 1921 after telling Andreas that she had been hearing strange noises, like noises that sounded like footsteps in the attic. Mm -hmm. And she believed that the house was haunted and she felt at times that she was being watched, even though she knew she was alone. And Andreas thought she was just being crazy and pretty much like bitter good riddance and like chalked her claims up to just her being superstitious. And 
whether he was willing to admit it or not, she might have actually been onto something. Because in March of 1922, Andreas found a strange newspaper from Munich on his property. And it was a paper that he had no recollection of ever purchasing. And he he definitely didn't have a subscription to it. So when he next ran into the postman, who was a man named Joseph Mayer, he asked him about it, thinking, you know, maybe it had been delivered to his farm by accident. Um, And the postman confirmed that no one in the vicinity of Hinterkaifeck had a subscription to that paper, which kind of added to the mystery of why and how it ended ended up there in the first place. Ghost paper. Ghost paper. (laughs) I live here now. Ghost news. (laughs) There were other odd occurrences as well. So one of the keys to the house had gone missing. And after a time, Andreas himself heard footsteps in the attic. But after conducting a thorough search of the building, he couldn't find anyone or anything that could have been responsible for the noises. And another event that seems strange, one that Andreas himself talked to his friends about. And by friends, I mean probably his neighbors. Um, he didn't really have he, friends. He didn't really have <laughs> friends because he was, he was kind of an asshole. Um, was that he discovered a set of tracks in the fresh snow that started in the forest that bordered his property and led to the farm's machine room, which had a broken door lock. And even with all of these odd, and if it was me, I would consider them extremely unsettling circumstances, Mm -hmm. uh, Andreas never involved the police, never once claimed anything to any of the local law enforcement. He'd still told several people about the strange goings on, but he was one of those people that refused to have help, even though one of them at least to me involved, you know, property damage and potential theft when he went to the barn and like the, the lock was broken. So about the third week of March, Andreas noticed another set of footprints leading from the woods behind the barn toward the house, but there weren't any sets that headed back into the woods or anywhere else on the property. So on Friday, March 31st, 1922, Maria Baumgartner arrived at Hinterkaifeck to start work as their new maid. Maria's sister brought her to the farm and left after like a short visit with the family. And it is very likely that she was the last person other than the killer or killers to see her sister and the groupers alive. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the groupers were known to keep to themselves but townspeople became concerned when the young Kazelia missed school the next day. And additionally, coffee sellers Hans and Eduard Shirovsky stopped by the farmstead to take an order from Andreas. I think they stopped by weekly, um, but no one responded to their knocks on the door. Um, they did notice that the gate to the machine house was open, but they left soon after when no one came to the door. Uh, when the Grubers didn't attend church on Sunday, April 2nd, which was a church where Victoria was a member of the choir, people started to notice because they never missed service. 
And then when Monday, April 3rd rolled around and Kazelia missed another day of school, people knew something wasn't quite right. So on Tuesday, April 4th, 1922, a mechanic named Albert Hoffner came to the farm to work on a feeding machine. And he spent several hours fixing it without encountering anybody. When he arrived on the property, he tried to get the attention of the family, but the only sounds he heard were the family dog barking. And I'm assuming the dog was in the house. Once Albert had finished his work, he tried to get the attention of the family again and with no success. So he headed to one of the neighbors to let them know that he hadn't seen them. And then later that evening, a search party of neighboring families was assembled and it was led by Lawrence. So when the search party arrived at Hinder Kaifek, they probably had no idea what they were going to be stumbling into. Um, Lawrence was joined by neighbors Jakob Siegel and Michael Poole. And when they first arrived at the property, it was super quiet, like eerily quiet. And the group went to the home first, but noticed that all the doors were locked, so they couldn't get inside. Should we the do group- a warning about yeah. getting into the gross part now? Yeah, I have case. a trigger warning in here. Okay. <laughs> I'll give a heads up. Okay. So the group next went to the barn, where they noticed that the entrance to the machinery room was open, and that's the room that had the broken lock. So after entering, they went into the stable, and it wasn't long into the search of the barn that they discovered four of the six members of the family under a board that was, like, barely covered by hay. And this is the trigger warning. It's going to be pretty graphic, but it's going to be very short. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. So Andreas's face had been brutally slashed and his cheekbones were visible through the cuts. And obviously his face was covered in blood. Um, his wife, Kazelia's skull was cracked from several, from seven blows to the head and her neck bore signs of strangulation. Victoria also suffered from a shattered skull and her face had markings consistent with it being hit with a blunt object. And the nine wounds were described as star shaped which was a little unique. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, little Kazelia had a shattered jaw and her face and neck were covered in gaping circular wounds. Um, the hallway connected the barn to the homestead. So Lawrence entered the living room and unlocked the door from inside the home to allow the other two men to enter. Inside, the bodies of young Joseph and Maria were found. Joseph had been bludgeoned to death in his bassinet in Victoria's room, but with a heavy blow to the face. And Maria had been murdered in her bedchamber, having suffered several blows to the head. Um, Joseph's body had been covered up by one of his mother's dresses, and Maria's body had been covered up by one of her sheets. So all um, of the bodies had been covered or yes. concealed somehow. Yep. Yes. Hmm. Not well, but Yes. But yes, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those things that you hear about sometimes, especially in historical crimes, where um, it reminds me of 
the stories that you'd hear of people like covering up the mirrors and stuff too after they commit a crime as if they don't want anyone to see them and like mm-hmm. look at them. Mm-hmm. So that's what it kind of reminded me of with the covering up of the bodies. Hmm. Interesting. So I'll let you talk about the murder weapon, Maddie. I feel like that's something that you should talk about, but an autopsy was conducted by court physician, Dr. Johann Baptiste Aumuller, and it revealed that all but one of the victims likely died instantly. And it, all of them, except for the young Kazelia. Um, it's believed that she lived for several hours after the rest of her family had been slaughtered. There were clumps of hair, her own hair found in her hands, which led investigators to believe that she had torn out her own hair in shock before she died. Um, he also noted that they had likely been murdered between the evening of March 31st and the early morning of April 1st. And in a really weird twist, Dr. Almuller decided it made sense to remove the heads of all six victims oh. to set. Stu- yeah. To study them further in Munich because it was the best way to preserve the evidence. And they also allowed clairvoyance access to them to see if they could narrow down who committed the crime, which. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard of a clairvoyant, like talking to a disembodied head to figure out what happened, but all right. It's like that's one way to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're gonna bring in a clairvoyant, why not? <laughs> yeah, it's a different time, <laughs> you know. I didn't even know though. I mean, that's pretty interesting that they would bring a clairvoyant in. Being, I, I, I mean, you know, obviously, I don't know how it was back then, but um, you know, with our like modern day psychic detective TV shows and whatnot, yeah, like, mm-hmm. it's basically the same, like. You know, they've been using clairvoyance since even back then. Yeah. Um, Very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Fun fact. Years later, all of the heads would go missing during an air raid on the Augsburg Court of Justice building during World War II. And they would never be found. I don't know how fun that fact is. (laughs) It's not a super fun fact, but like, Wow. How do six heads go missing? Like <laughs> that's a yeah. lot of heads. Like that. I mean, you know, I I guess here or there, sure. You know, you've heard of stuff going missing in the past, and but uh, six heads—that's a lot of heads. That's and, and I, like, I mean, they kept them out for that long. Like they that that seems surprising to me. That it, but I mean, I guess because it hadn't been solved. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. <laughs> It seems like a weird thing to steal from a building if you're going to, like, go ransack a place after it's bombed. You know you know what I mean? Well, but I wonder, though, if if there were people in that building, I wonder if they just thought it was debris from the raid and just threw their heads away without realizing that there were no bodies next attached, to the Attached to the heads? That's a good yeah. point. That's a really good you know, point. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. That's a good point. Thank you. I try. (laughs) You did a good job. Yay. 
So perhaps most disturbing of all was the fact that even with the shocking deaths of the Gruber family, the farm had still been operating as usual. Like the animals had all been fed and cared for after the murders had likely taken place. And even the family's Pomeranian dog had been taken care of. Neighbors recall seeing smoke coming from the chimney prior to the discovery of the bodies, which led many to believe that their killer slash killers had been living in the home with two of the bodies for days after committing the crime. And the postman noted that all of the mail that he had delivered from Saturday, April 1st through Tuesday, April 4th had not been touched and was found right where he'd left it. And robbery was ruled out as a motive because almost as soon as the investigations of the house started, Andrea's supply of cash was immediately found in the house. And in fact, if rumors and the former maid are to be believed, then it's entirely possible that whoever committed this crime had been living undetected on the Hinterkaifeck property for over six months and lured each of the victims into the barn one by one, with the exception of Joseph and Maria. And there was even evidence that the person who committed the crime had made meals at the home following their deaths. So, yeah. Good Lord. So this person was most likely, or person slash people were just living as if nothing had happened. Yeah. Oh my God. For a few days. Yeah. Yeah. Good Lord. That is terrifying. Yeah. Like that's the thing of nightmares. Like that's pretty. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's the, that's the part where I'm like, yeah, the murders were really bad, but this is also super creepy. Like, yeah, to, to have everything continue. Well, and it's like whoever it was clearly knew enough to keep it going and how to keep it going. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah, mean, running a farm isn't easy. I don't think. I it's mean, not necessarily intuitive. No, no. But right. if you've been living at the property undetected for six months, you'd be very well versed in the day to day. Right. Yeah. From watching and knowing and learning and oh, that is, that's pretty, pretty scary. Yeah. Okay. So the murder weapon that they assume was used is what they call a matic, which is similar to a pickaxe. Um, and a year after the murders, the pickaxe that they thought was the murder weapon was actually found in the attic of the house when they uh, tore it down. So it also kind of fuels the, that theory of somebody just living up, up in the attic. I'm um, looking up a mattock right now, so I have an idea. Yeah. What it looks like. <laughs> it's... Um, to me, it looks like a it's it looks like a hammer with instead of a blunt edge, it's still sharp. So it's got two sharp edges. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that's that's exactly what it looks like. And I'll share a picture of it too, so people have a good idea. Here's a picture of what a pick and a mattock looks like, like back to back. Yep, um, I'll, I'll share that. And that's kind of the theory of what could have created the star shapes in their skulls. <laughs> mm-hmm. Super Yikes. fun. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, now you may be wondering uh, if it was the creepy ghost person, a neighbor, maybe a vagrant. Um, I'll break down kind of what the Munich police department uh, went through. So Munich was the largest city close by. So they were, they were the department that took over the case and they were headed by inspector George Ryan Gruber. And they had not been able to get a clean crime scene because by the time they got there, a number of people had already come by the house They continue to work on the farm. They moved the bodies around to make it more convenient. And um, they're, like my sister said, uh, they cooked and ate meals in the kitchen. And they assumed that it was the killer, but you never know. Maybe somebody working, the house was unlocked and they didn't see that there were bodies and just had some bread or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but to move the bodies to continue working. That's, yeah. That's horrible. Like, it's not great. I mean, like, could you imagine, though, being in that position like, well, I, I got to keep chugging along here. So mm-hmm. got to. Oh, that's horrible. Well, and if you think about it, too, like you're moving your boss that would have paid you that's not going to pay you now because he's dead. So mm-hmm. what is the why are you working? Why are you? Yeah. Why even? Oh, yeah. boy. So um, initially, police suspected that the killer could have murdered for money. So they spent a good amount of time interrogating local and traveling craftsmen, workers and vagrants. Um, when they were able to find the money Andreas left in the house, they quickly dropped that theory. Um, then they really began to inspect the home. They noted that the murderers had most likely lived at the farm for several days after the killings. They ate pretty much all of the bread from the kitchen, and then they had recently cut meat from the pantry. So they really just kind of made themselves at home. Gotta have those ham sandwiches. Gotta have those ham sandwiches. (laughs) Um, Like Lindsay said, uh, The investigators assumed the majority of the victims were drawn to the barn by noise from the animals. This was quickly debunked, however, because no one actually heard screams coming from the barn at the time they would have been killed. Um, One neighbor that passed the Hinterkaifeck the night after the medical examiner predicted their deaths uh, noted that the oven was on. He said a person allegedly came at him with a lantern and blinded him, which made him run away. He also mentioned that the fire itself had a putrid smell, but no one followed up on what could have been burning in the oven. So nobody checked the oven to see if, like, there's any cannibalistic, like, things that could have been in there. Yeah, the putrid smell is a little disconcerting. Yeah, Yeah, that's that doesn't just happen. No, Um, not typically, especially if they had, like, normal meat in the pantry. Right, right. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, another local noticed two figures on the edge of the forest near Hinterkaifeck on his way home near Brunnen on April 1st, but the figures quickly turned away so that they wouldn't be recognized. He didn't think anything of it until he heard about the murders. Um, five years later, a stranger was said to stop a resident of Weidhofen in the middle of the night, ask him questions about the murder. 
then screamed he was the murderer and ran into the woods, never to be seen again. (laughs) So that's fun and totally safe. I would love to walk home after that. Totally normal. Yeah. Um, That doesn't happen to you guys on a daily basis? No, not, not typically. No. I also um, don't typically stroll near the woods at night in the middle of the night. No, so. no you're going to have a bad or, time if you do that. That's yeah. Not, not or talk good, to somebody that came out of the woods. Like, <laughs> oh, hey. Hey, man. How's it going? That guy did like all of all the things you're not supposed to do. Yep. <laughs> going yep. out in the middle of the night, talking to some stranger that came out of the woods. <laughs> yep. Not great. So they actually... Uh, had interviewed over a hundred suspects, but here are the top contenders. So the first suspect they thought of was Andreas himself, the father. Um, Rumors about town claimed Andreas killed the whole family before turning the mattock on himself, but none of the family's wounds were self-inflicted. And this would have been super difficult, a really awful way to kill yourself based on how Andreas was found. Like they said, his, his cheeks were like shredded. Ew. So I don't know how you could continually do that to yourself until you die. That'd be very extreme. Um, another suspect was Carl Gabriel. He was Victoria's first husband and he was reported as killed in action by a shell attack in December, 1914 in world war one, but his body was never recovered. Um, oddly enough, at the end of World War II, um, some soldiers released from Soviet captivity claimed that they were released by a German-speaking Soviet claiming to be the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. They revised the story later, but many believe that Karl fled to Russia after the murders. So, in a strange twist, her first husband, who potentially didn't die from the war, came back saw what was happening, lost his mind, murdered all of them, and then went to Russia and uh, became a Soviet soldier. As one does. Wow. You know, sounds super common. So I don't know. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Uh, the, The lovely Lorenz was next, the man who was and was not the father of Joseph. Um. He was alleged to be in a relationship with Victoria and had Joseph after he became a widower in 1918. Um, Townspeople were really suspicious of him because of his actions after the bodies were found. He was initially a part of that team, but he had to break the gate to the barn because all the doors were locked. After finding the bodies in the barn, he magically came up with a key and there was a key missing to the house earlier. And he went into the house alone first. So he didn't tell anybody he had the key, unlocked the door, went in. He was like, oh, I was just unlocking it so you guys could come in. Um, Theories of him having his own key was potentially because he was Victoria's beau and could have been like sneaking in and out of the house before the murders. Mm -hmm. Um, He claimed... He claimed that he went inside the house first to look for his son, Joseph, 
but he disturbed the bodies and totally compromised the crime scene. Um, one interesting thing too, was uh, they made note that he was not disturbed at all by the, how the bodies looked. And, um, uh, they said that he decided to off the family after Victoria demanded child support essentially. And, but he won several civil slander cases after the murders calling him the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. So, um, it followed him like his entire life and he kept suing people to try to make it stop, but it didn't work. Um, I, I just think it's interesting that, I mean, if that was your son, wouldn't you be pretty emotional at finding your son like bludgeoned to death? And if he would think, and if he was there and he was just like, well, these guys were murdered, you know, like, and wasn't super upset about Mm -hmm. it. That's a little telling. Well, Well, they said to, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, they said it could have been shock. Like he was in a state of complete shock. But a lot of people knew him well, and they were like, "Mm, no, he he acted as if it was something he had seen before. Well, and I mean, do we know what his whereabouts were the days after the crime took place? Because if somebody was supposedly, you know, living amongst the farm, and at least he would have been there most likely before. You know, if he was, um, you know, supposedly her lover, he would have yeah. at least known the area and probably would have had a good idea of how to how to keep things running. Well, mm-hmm. and he was their neighbor, too. So it would have been, it wouldn't have been outside of the realm of possibility for him to just go next door and take care of the animals after he committed the crime. Yep. That's true. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So we also have uh, the Gump Brothers. So, poli- uh, <laughs> so uh, Gump, G-U-M-P. G-U-M-P. Oh God! I thought you said Glump. Gump. I was like, no, Gump, the Gump Brothers. Okay, <laughs> the Gump Brothers. Um, okay. Yes. So Munich police looked into Adolf's brother Anton Gump because his sister claimed that her brothers Adolf and Anton committed the crimes on her while she was on her deathbed. Anton was arrested, but Adolf was already dead by the time this came to light. Um, police couldn't place him at the scene and and couldn't prove that he did it, so they released him very soon after they arrested him. Um, Carl. S and Andreas S are our next, our next suspects. It said in the 1970s, a woman claimed that when she was 12, she and her mother were visited by the mother of the brothers, Carl and Andreas S. The mother claimed her sons were the murderers of Hinterkaifeck and said that Andreas lamented the loss of his penknife at the scene. When the farm was por- torn down in 1923, a pocket knife was found with no known o- owner, but the former maid, uh, Krizenz Riger, was certain that they already had a penknife strewn about in the yard before the murders happened. She was like, people drop tools all the time. Like, there would have been plenty of, like, tools around. The like farm. the Matic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just lying you know. around. 
just pickaxe right next to the cow poop. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Peter Weber is another suspect. He, uh, Peter Weber told his flatmate, Joseph Betts, that he worked at Hinter Kaifek, knew about the incest, and suggested killing Andreas to get his money. When Joseph declined the offer of assisting the murder, Peter never spoke about them again. So Joseph Betts was super skeeved out and he was like, why aren't you talking about it anymore? And then they got murdered and he was like, why aren't you talking about it anymore? (laughs) (laughs) But there wasn't much after that. So they dropped that lead. Um, The next is the Bickler brothers and George Siegel. Uh, Krizenz, the former maid, suspected that brothers Anton and Carl Bickler committed the crime. They worked on the farm during potato season and knew the lay of the land. Anton allegedly also hated the family and thought that they, that they all should die. <laughs> she also noted that the family's Pomeranian barked at everyone except Anton, and she claimed uh, she spoke to a stranger in the window of the house the night the family died. She believed she was talking to Carl, Anton's brother, and that they committed the slayings with George Siegel, another former worker of the farm, that all wanted the family fortune. George denied his involvement, but he ca- he carved the handle of the murder weapon, the mattock himself, and he knew where it was in the barn. Hmm. Yeah. So, fishy. Um, the taller brothers, like there was another, there were so many brothers and like two dudes like constantly <laughs> in this whole thing. Um, the taller brothers, uh, Krizenz threw out Riger and Joseph taller because they creepily stood outside of her home window one night and asked a bunch of questions about the family that she didn't respond to. The brothers claimed they knew where each family member slept in the house and noted that the family had a lot of money. So there were a lot of people, a lot of people that worked for them that hated them and wanted them dead. So it was really hard to kind of narrow it down because um, they were really not liked. It's <laughs> it's really unfortunate. Like when you hear about like, like I know where they sleep at, in, at night. It's like, oh, no. Okay. Um, the... The most extreme one that I heard was uh, they were murdered by extremists from the right or left wing of German politics. So theories of the family being killed by an extreme political group surfaced due to the communists and Nazis engaging in fighting and blood, like bloodshed for a decade after World War I. Because of Hinterkaifeck's location, it would have been the perfect place for a hideout or meeting place. Locals claimed the family could have been collateral damage when the other group of extremists took action, but no family members were known to have any extremist political affiliations. So, kind of debunked, but of course, somebody has to throw politics into a murder, you know. (laughs) Um, And finally, we have... We have Paul Mueller. So an author by the name of Bill James claims that Paul Mueller was the killer due to similar crimes he committed in the U.S., which was by murdering an entire family in their home with a pickaxe he found in their barn. He also didn't steal a single thing during that murder. 
James alleges that uh, Paul fled to Germany from the U.S. after journalists noticed patterns in his family murders across state lines in Colorado and Kansas. He killed two families in one night in Colorado, and one wildly known alleged murder Mueller committed was the Velisca Axe murders in Velisca, Iowa. So that was kind of a, a similar thing where an entire family was just annihilated in their home with a pickaxe and whoever was there like ate the food and just kind of lived there for a little bit and then he left. So it yeah. was a super similar MO. So um, that's kind of the running theory, but the case was officially closed by German authorities in 1955 and it has not been solved since. So that's weird how similar those cases are. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think, you know, it's natural for us to want to like create, you know, patterns and, you know, find things that match, but it still is kind of strange that the cases are very, very similar and very similar MOs, like you had said. Yeah. One of the theories was, you know, he was starting to kind of, get some heat in the United States. So he went back to his homeland in Germany and the dates matched up nice enough that people were like, yep, that's him. He did it. But I just, the hiding out for six months is something that I just, that's so much time to just be hidden in somebody's house. That's a long time to be unaccounted for. Yes. Like, that's that's a Which really was long time. Also kind of fairly common though, especially post-war, pre-war. I mean, people had like 12 families at that time. But at the same time, like if he didn't know this family, why would he be like, I'm going to hide out in this family's house for 6 months. These people that I don't know. Well, they hired people, they hired strangers all the time to do stuff on the farm. So if he had a way with a mm. pickaxe, and was on the farm for a period of time and then quote unquote left. Yeah, if he was like hired for a season or something. Yeah. Cause all the all the potential suspects were hired for like a brief period of time. And it was super common to like have traveling craftsmen go farm to farm to find work. That's true. Yeah, that's so, weird. Hmm. Yeah. it's something you don't want to believe but like stranger things have happened i mean Mm -hmm. it's like is it completely impossible no but is it likely Mm, not necessarily yeah yeah it's probably more likely than the soviet defector yeah the the extremist political group or yeah. yeah The ex-husband that was like, I'm alive. Oh, my God, you're cheating on me with your dad. Murder. I'm going to be a Russian now. Like, uh, that's a lot. Yeah, a little, little far-fetched. <laughs> that's yeah. a 007 movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like, what really was the motive behind this murder? these murders? I like, still don't know. We really don't know. <laughs> uh-uh. I, I mean, like, it, they were all murdered in, like, such a horrible fashion. 
Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what, you know, it makes me think that it was passion motivated. I mean, that's just yes, my personal my gut feeling. Um, and yeah, it was, it was coming from a place of this is a, this is personal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and especially with the, you know, sheer brutality of the crimes itself. Um, and I don't know the covering, I know you said, um, too, that, um, it was popular of the time, you know, with crime that, um, they would cover the victims, but it makes me think yep. like we know nowadays when they t- typically cover victims, it's because they knew them. So yep. it makes me wonder yep. how personal, um, you know, the uh, actual person responsible was to the family. And you got to wonder, too, if this was something where it started out, say, they want they only wanted to kill Andreas. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they were seen. So then they had to kill the mom or, you know, like you got to wonder what like you said, what the motive was, was it a matter of just getting rid of the dad because he was the one perpetrating all these crimes against Victoria? Like, is this someone who liked Victoria and was trying to save her? Mm-hmm. Is this someone who um, wanted the farm and didn't think that anyone would come looking for the family because they kind of kept to themselves? You yeah. know, like you, like you said, what is the motive? If it wasn't cash... Mm-hmm. Which Why? we know it wasn't. So it's like that yeah. is, you know, I'm sure that was the first thing they looked at. And, you know, when they realized that everything was still there, um, you know, it's just it makes you makes you scratch your head. It's like, what mm-hmm. what was going on? Well, very yeah. interesting. Very interesting. So so, yeah. So like we had said, the case has not been solved. They tried to reopen it. You had mentioned. Yeah, they. Um, they actually kept it open until 1955, um, to just see if, if they had any leads and people were still, um, giving them, uh, you know, the, that one woman in 1970 who said she, she met the, those two men, um, Mm -hmm. people were still giving them evidence or um, tips, tips, well past when the case was closed, but I don't think it has been reopened. Last I heard, and I might have read it when I was doing my research. Um, early in the two thousands, they looked into it again because some new evidence came to light, and they think they may have narrowed down who the suspect is. But because descendants of the families are still alive, they're hesitant to release who actually did it because they're concerned that um, of retaliation of retaliation against the people who committed the crimes, just because the crimes are so famous in that area. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I want to kill you because my uncle killed your family. I mean... I guess, but yeah, that wasn't that wasn't you? I mean, people do strange things when That's they feel true. like when a crime is personal to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was oh, for sure super personal. I yeah. mean, I think what's so sad is that there were too many suspects because of how disliked this family was 
mm-hmm. when you actually got into it. I think a lot of people didn't realize the, the full scope of how many people resented them and their wealth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, especially given how small of a town it was. Mm-hmm. It's interesting just how many suspects were actually interviewed. Yeah. Yeah, over 100 is a lot. <laughs> hmm It's a good number. Well, well, and you had said most of them had even worked for them, so I think that says something as well. Mm-hmm. That, you know, how just how many people, you know, this family employed and for them to not be well-liked and, um, you know, all the shady incest stuff going on. Like there was, this was quite, quite the case. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> you, you see now why it's one of Lindsay's favorites. Cause it's, I yeah. understand so, now. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many layers of them. craziness. There mm-hmm. is. And like, what's the deal with the woods? Yeah. Who was, yeah. Who was hiding in the woods? <laughs> The two people that turned away and they were like, oh, guess they don't want us to see their face. Better keep walking home. Yeah. I don't like know. Just, better, just better the idea that. investigate that. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I know this case was covered on lore. And yep. um, if you've ever watched the Amazon Prime series that he did too, I think there was also, it was also covered on the Amazon Prime series. It's so creepy. And it's, again, like, there's so many layers to this case. I don't even know where you would start to start unraveling it and start investigating it. Because Mm -hmm. there's just, how? I mean, people in the woods. Crazy wood people. Um, People in the attic. The ghost in the attic. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's and like you said, so many people didn't like him and could have had something to gain by getting the farm yep. after they were gone. You know, mm-hmm. was it was this motivated by greed? Was this mo- like just wanting the land, the property? Right. And and they didn't take the money because they thought that they would eventually get it mm-hmm. if they got mm. the land. Who did the land end up with? Do we know? I don't know. Um, Let me see. Well, they tore the building down in 1923. So they tore the farm, the the house at least, Mm -hmm. shortly after the investigation, which which also hindered the investigation. (laughs) Yeah. Because they got rid of the whole house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like so much for anything at that point. Like once that happens, it's like gone you know there goes all the Mm -hmm. evidence potential evidence and I always think it's so interesting too how the older cases how people would just be like in and about the actual like crime scenes oh yeah yeah. that blows my mind I mean like obviously now nowadays we know you know they should be secured although I'm looking at you John Benet Ramsey case yeah that one was not secured but (laughs) one off the top of my head um but um you know it's it's kind of funny how you know, people would just be going about their business like we'd said working, and uh, there's just some dead bodies hanging out in the in the side of the room, and you know, it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I found online that it says the former land of Hinterkaifeck is now an open agricultural area. Oh, so it's owned by everyone now. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. And the town you now guess. goes by the name of Wide Widehofen. Widehofen. Yep. Thank you. V- <laughs> See, v- this is why I don't try to pronounce anything. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. <laughs> um, yeah, I've there's an article too. It says the old structures no longer exist on the farm, but there is a memorial where visitors can stop and pay and res- pay their respects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So very interesting. Well, what an interesting case, you guys! Oh my gosh, <laughs> like mm-hmm. this one is definitely one for yeah, hoy. So. Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode. So, so where can people uh, listen to your show? Even though I talk about it somewhat on on my show, <laughs> or, I, or I will be. Let's put it this, that way. Yeah. Um, you can find us pretty much on every podcasting platform. You can also find us on yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod. We're on Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. Um, we also publish our content on YouTube. So mm-hmm. we're just kind of all over the place. Yeah. And you guys are Podcast of the Month on the Oracle Network. Woohoo! Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> that's very surreal. When, when Lindsay said that we were, I was like, that's not true. That can't be a real thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you guys definitely are. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I'm going to try to um, release this episode probably last week of um, July since there's only like, what is it this this Monday and the next Monday, I think, are the last ones. So so I'm thinking the 26th. Yep. I'll, I'll cut this part out, by the way. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so I'll be releasing the episode the 26th. So awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me on this week's episode of Victimology. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you for having us. <laughs>